1: a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation. Enderson Hauser, the people for process automation. We're going to jump right into it today because we know there probably by the time this airs, probably there's going to still be a lot of folks doing exactly what I'm doing right now, and that is recording from home. And doing it remotely, I'll try not to show my age and say that the guest that I have with me today is on the phone because, of course, we're actually doing it through all this modern computer technology and Zencaster and all that sort of thing. But today, our guest is Mr. Brian Brownlee, and he is with DeNora Water Technologies, Texas, LLC. Thanks for coming on the show, Brian.
2: You're welcome, Russell. Good to be here.
1: So Brian, you guys are, so it's Denora Water Technologies, Texas. Does that mean there's a Denora Water Technologies, Oklahoma, or what does that mean?
2: No, we haven't reached deep into the Oklahoma area. No, Denora Water Technologies, Texas LLC is the name of the legal entity. The name of the business is Denora Water Technologies, which is a division of Denora, which is actually an Italian business. It's the world leader in electrochemical applications globally it's headquartered out of milan and it was founded all the way back in like almost a 100 years ago so back in 1923 ironically by an italian entrepreneur in his garage of all things and he created a novel type of electrochlorination cell which we've been refining ever since then and a natural fit for those kind of technologies is water treatment right so As DeNora progressed on its journey, it formed a joint venture with 7Trent Water Purification, which was actually owned by 7Trent Water PLC. And this was back in 2000. And then in 2015, we acquired the 7Trent Water Purification business in full and formed DeNora Water Technologies. The business in Texas is the headquarters of the electrochlorination business unit for the water technologies division. Um, Wait, 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 wait. Back
1: up. The division in Texas is, what did you call it?
2: The division in Texas is the headquarters of the Global Electrochlorination Business Unit.
1: Electrical Chlorinization?
2: Electrochlorination.
1: Electric Chlorination.
2: -chlorination. -chlorination. Electrochlorination.
1: Electrochlorination. Okay. (laughs) And you're in Texas, and, and obviously, I can tell from your accent, you're a native Texan.
2: Oh, yeah, just from the very, very far east Texas. No, I moved out. Actually, it was the oil field that brought me out from the UK. I was working for a reservoir engineering company called Object Reservoir, Back in two thousand and eight, and that kind of spurred my interest a lot in unconventional oil and gas production because we were very active in the Haynesville and Marcellus Shales during the shale gas boom back in that time period.
1: Okay, so let's talk about electrochlorination, and then I want to I want to come back to water treatment and water technologies as it relates to the oil and gas industry specifically. But tell us what electrochlorination is.
2: Okay, well, basically one of the primary steps or one of the most important steps in water treatment is disinfection. So the killing of the bacteria and other nasties that live in the water. And that's typically achieved by the addition of chlorine in one of its many forms. Gas chlorine remains fairly popular for that aim, particularly in the US and certainly in industrial applications, but there's also chlorine dioxide that's used in certain applications. But there's also a lot of sodium hypochlorite bleach, which is effectively the active ingredient in a lot of off-the-shelf bleach products that people use. So electrochlorination basically enables you to create sodium hypochlorite bleach by running salt and water through an electrochlorination cell. That's a, effectively it's an anode and a cathode packaged together. It's a form of electrolysis and the chlorine ion comes from the salt itself, sodium chloride right? And it generates a sodium hypochlorite bleach, which is safe, non-hazardous, and can be safely dosed into water and get that free available chlorine into the water without the inherent safety issues potentially of using gaseous chlorine, which is very, very toxic, and without the cost and the transportation cost of shipping bulk bleach, which is mostly water, to a water plant, right, to dose with that. So it's a really neat application. It lets us really get chemistry and bleach created where it's needed very, very quickly without ever having to transport a hazardous chemical.
1: So you're talking about this because you specifically relate to the oil and gas industry, correct?
2: It's a little more complex than that. The funny thing is, we've always had a strong presence in the oil and gas business. But traditionally, it was in the offshore oil and gas market. So sewage treatment systems for rigs, which is about as glamorous as it sounds. But Omnipure is a Denora brand. And that's one of the preeminent sewage treatment systems on offshore platforms throughout the world. And just as a Fun fact, if you're watching the movie Deepwater Horizon, there's a scene where they're doing a systems check on the rig and on the whiteboard behind them, you'll see Omnipure with a tick box, a tick next to it, and that is actually our Omnipure system. With the irony being we didn't actually have an, an Omnipure on that rig, but it's a very, very famous and well-known offshore brand. And Sanelec for biofouling control, which is making sure when a big platform's sucking in cooling water or water for its applications, it doesn't have fish and other things growing on their pumps and clogging things up. We actually moved into unconventional oil and gas due to the last downturn offshore. You know, 2015, 2016 were were rough years and and the Permian Basin was really swinging back up during that time period because we saw not only applications in frack water disinfection, but we also knew that our systems and our processes had a part to play in produce water recycling as well. So in the course of doing that market entry activities, we identified a company called Neptune Solutions, which is a local business. It's based out of Fort Stockton and now Midland, where what they had done, and it was the brainchild of their president, Alex Gonzalez, is put mobile disinfection systems onto trailers and start maneuvering them around the basin and actually doing on-demand disinfection, so to speak, right? For frack applications, for frack water disinfection. And we saw a really good marriage between that approach and our technology. So we initially partnered up with them, and then we acquired them, forming Nora Neptune last year. And they're basically our service wing out in the Permian Basin doing frack disinfection work. So when obviously the, the current oil price situation became clear, this COVID crisis emerged, Donora had already begun doing a lot of community work locally. So we deployed units, portable small units to Milan. Hospitals and worked with the civil defense teams out there where they were using the sodium hypochlorite bleach on surfaces, door handles, you name it, hospitals, you name it. Our Chinese branch out in Shanghai did similar when the outbreak was at its worst in China. And we just recently actually worked with the sheriff of Fort Bend County, Troy Nels. To distribute, we provided the equipment, Troy Nels and the Sheriff's Department of Fort Bend County distributed sodium hypochlorite bleach generated by one of our formerly oil field systems, well, it's still an oil field system, out to the public. So they could use it, you know, for their homes, they could use it for things they were going to touch and things of that nature as sodium hypochlorite bleach is, is used. So and they actually gave out over 13,000 bottles at the last count of bleach to the Fort Bend County community to help with the, the COVID-19 situation.
1: Well, you had to mention the elephant in the room. And by the way, I want to come back to frag disinfection here in in just a moment. But since you mentioned the elephant in the room right now, which is the COVID-19 crisis, I find it uh, almost curious that you guys are an Italian company. And of course, Italy has been been hit hard with the COVID-19. So uh, what are you guys doing over there?
2: Well, it's it's been an intense situation globally and Italy, particularly north of Italy, which is where our headquarters is based in Milan, was, was hit extremely hard. But we followed all the guidelines. Required we are considered an essential business because for the Denora electrode business, which is the the other division of Denora, you know, they cells and their membrane cell technologies go into major chemical and bleach manufacturing processes all over the world so they're absolutely it's absolutely mission critical stuff particularly at a time like this where bleach has probably never been quite as important in recent memory so yeah the fact try to that, find
1: some on the shelves right now
2: yeah exactly Hence the reason uh, the fort ben county sheriff's office did such a good thing by giving it out to the community because it really it did put a lot of bleach out there for people but yeah, so we the factory actually still remains open in, in the main factory out there in Milan, where they're obviously respecting all the personal protective equipment, social distancing, disinfection, safety rules, etc. But all of the office workers are working remotely from home. That's the same practice that we're currently um, undergoing as well with our US entities with Sugarland, Texas, which is the, the location I normally work at being no exception. So I'm actually taking this podcast from my living room.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's there are a lot of those a lot of those going on. Are you guys going around and actually disinfecting rigs to fight against the coronavirus?
2: Honestly, right now we're still we're still looking at the various applications and opportunities. There's been a significant demand for the the products that we make because obviously we do have the the large frack disinfection systems, which is a large Clortex system. That's the name of the product which is a 1,500 pound a day of free available chlorine generating system. Now, when that be- you wash that out and dilute it, it's- you're looking at 25,000 gallons a day, which is a an- minimum, which is an enormous amount of sodium hypochlorite bleach. It was an excellent redeployment out of the oil field by the Denora Neptune team to do some good in the community and really try and do our part to help working with local authorities, of course. And they've done similar in Del Rio, where they were exactly the same set up, working with the county judge out there to distribute the sodium hypochlorite bleach. And there's more in the, in the pipeline of that style of work. But just to give some flavor of history, Chlortec actually started its life as a municipal drinking water disinfection product. And it comes in size ranges from £2 a day all the way up to 6 to 10,000-pound-a-day systems, right? So it's got a huge range of sizes, and the smallest of which, which is the ClorTech 2, is a little almost appliance-sized thing that generates two pounds a day of free available chlorine that equates to around about 45 to 50 gallons of bleach a day, which could be perfect for, say, a hospital or a facility like ours where we make some use of the bleach we generate as we wipe areas down. And it could also be a good place, you know, for a fire department, police station, etc. So there's, it's a full size range of applications there. And it's just about where we best position them. But we have about three and a half thousand installations of Clortec in the municipal drinking water market in the U.S., right? And so literally over 100 million, million Americans drink drinking water that has been treated by a Clortec system at some point in its life, which is where it, it came from. So really, the move to the oil and gas was a conversion. It's like, well, OK, well, we can use this same technology, the same core technology in the oil and gas industry. And it's an extremely versatile approach. The ability to take water and salt and generate sodium hypochlorite bleach using that, obviously right now, me, with the bleach supply chain so stretched and large-scale commercial bleach manufacturing so stretched, but bleach being so important, it's just we have an incredible array of applications that we could put to work and we're looking and we're proceeding multiple avenues around how we do that it's really important to us as a company and it's kind of cool honestly to me personally that you know this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity to do something absolutely you know truly meaningful and do some like sort of some incredible good out there by getting this equipment into the the hands of the first responders and getting into the hands of the government institutions and the commercial institutions are so important in helping us weather this pandemic
1: well, that sounds that sounds very encouraging. And so if folks wanted to get in touch with you, I'm going to try to remember to put in the show notes. And in fact, I need to get this from you, Brian, your LinkedIn profile, your LinkedIn link. So if people want to contact you, they can go on through LinkedIn. They can also, I guess, go to your website and your website is we'll put that in the show notes too. But what is your website?
2: Yeah, it's www.denora.com. And it's actually a brand new website. We just relaunched our website back in March. So it's it's very well laid out and it's it's actually a really, really good website right now. So um, well, good.
1: that's appropriate timing. Okay. I want to go back and talk about the uh, frack disinfection. You you talk about disinfecting frack water. Tell me just how disinfected and you were, we were talking about you're so big in municipal water systems. Tell me just how disinfected frack water is. So when you guys get done with it, can I drink that?
2: No, <laughs> frack water doesn't need to be that disinfected, but okay. So in a typical frack, obviously they're pumping water down hole and a tremendous quantity of water down hole to at high pressure to frack these wells. And one of the, the issues you can have when you do that is if there's living bacteria of certain kinds in there like sulfur reducing bacteria or acid producing bacteria they basically consume the dissolved iron in the water but they also in general just in terms of when they respire anaerobically they generate hydrogen sulfide and that hydrogen sulfide produced by those bacteria will effectively sour a well additionally bacteria downhole in that in those fractures form biofilm and gunk and slime basically which which covers the surface area of the frack now fracking an unconventional well you're not so much sort of like creating tapping into pore spaces because it's extremely non-porous rock in shale what's actually happening is the hydrocarbon is dissolving from the surface of the fracture you've just exposed into the fracture itself and then being obviously the pressure pushes it up the well bore. So if that any of that surface area is covered by microbial action or anything of that nature, then it obviously reduces the productivity of the well fairly dramatically. So the reason you disinfect is to kill all those bacteria, and then you want to leave a residual level of chlorine in the water so you can frack the well knowing there's nothing alive from a bacterial standpoint in your frack water. And you also know that it will stay that way down hole, you know, while you're waiting to put the well into production having completed it.
1: Okay, and so how much of the frac water do you recover?
2: We don't. It's not about recovery of the frac water. Basically, like we treat all the water going in to a frac, right? So we will treat actually into the tank immediately before the frac mixer. So that all that water then goes downhole and and fracks the well. Typically, I mean, and it does. It does. How much the oil company and the flowback company gets back varies fairly dramatically by well and location, but it's not much. There's a lot of formation loss during a frac. And typically, you know, if you're fracking with nine hundred and fifty thousand barrels, you know, you might get shoot, yeah, you know, maybe sixty thousand back on a good day. But the amount of frac loss is fairly high. Typically, you only get twenty to thirty percent, best of the the frac water flow back as flowback water before it just starts slowly becoming produced water. But it's the flowback companies that manage the flowback water and a lot of them do um, some additional treatment steps there so that water can be reused also because a lot of flowback water gets recycled back into frac water again so it can be used on subsequent fracs
1: well that was that was actually my question there let's back up the all of those hundreds of thousands of barrels of of frac water that's going to go down in into the formation that you're going to treat before they frack, where does that water come from?
2: It varies, and the vast majority of it even now comes from either brackish or fresh water wells, right? So it's coming from the water table, and that's one of the issues. You know, you look at the the Permian Basin and Midland in general, it's a very arid area. The water scarcity is a very, very real thing there, and fresh water is a very, very precious commodity there. Now, the irony being that your average oil well in the Permian Basin produces three to seven times more, depending on whether it's a Midland or a Delaware well, but three to seven times more water than it does oil. So what you really have, rather than calling it an oil well, you can call it an oily water well, right? The issue is that produced water comes out of the ground normally with extremely high salinity. So you know hundreds of thousands of ppm of salt. It's so salty, in fact, and, and so dirty for the most part and with other contaminants. It means your only option, if you wanted to treat that water to drinking water levels or discharge levels, would be thermal evaporative processes, which are large, industrial, and extremely expensive. Very uh, you know, cost
1: prohibitive, right?
2: Yes. It can be $1 to $4 a barrel and the... When your fresh water costs in the, the Permian Basin are between 50 and 70 cents, typically on the high side, it just doesn't make sense to do that. What it does make sense to do, however, is recycle that produced water and use it as frack water, right? Because if you do that, every barrel of produced water that's recycled and sent back into a different frack is one barrel less that can be taken or needs to be taken from the water table. And our equipment. Actually, we have a Neptunora Neptune, our affiliate, our service affiliate down there is doing a number of recycle jobs of that nature right now, making use of the same claw technology, just in a slightly different way.
1: So you can, you can take this highly saline produced water and you can, with your process, treat it to the point that you can use it for fracking?
2: Yes. It's a combination of our technology and the overall process. So in a nutshell is, that, um, is
1: is that cost effective
2: Yes, it's extremely cost effective. It's south of twenty cents a barrel in terms of recycling it for the most part. It does vary a little bit depending on end water spec, but it's extremely cost effective in terms of getting water and and it works and it's it's becoming a fairly common process, particularly now where there's a lot more cost pressure <laughs> perhaps oh, has been in, in in recent recent months. But it's actually a really cool process. So essentially, I always say if I had like a glass of produced water and I literally just set it on the table for 24 hours, when I come back, I'm going to have like almost all the heavy solids sitting at the bottom. I'm going to have oil floating on top, and I'm going to have a relatively clear column of water that's extremely brackish, of course. It's very, very salty. And then there'll be a few colloidal solids sitting in it, but a clear column in the middle. The issue is, you know, if you're flowing water to a well or flowing back from a well or you're processing water you know you don't have 24 hours of hold time right for it to stay still you maybe have three or four so our approach is basically very simplified is we dose into a holding tank of a few thousand barrels and you know and as i said the bigger the better but you can get away with just a sort of like a two to one or three to one ratio in terms of number of hours you need and the sodium hypochlorite bleach oxidizes the dissolved iron into insoluble iron, right? That insoluble iron literally is like, just forms like a little solid, undissolved iron particle in the water, and it's paramagnetic. So that iron basically has a positive charge in most floating colloidal solids, which are the solids that are so small in water that they will never naturally settle on their own, stick to that iron. That iron then forms big, bigger, bigger, and bigger clumps of those solids, and they all sink to the bottom very quickly. The sodium hypochlorite also disinfects the water, so there's no bacterial action in there, and will oxidize a good amount of the hydrogen sulfide in the water as well. So what you then get out of that holding tank and run through a filter is water that has no iron in it, or negligible amounts of iron in it, which is the food stock of the the nasty bacteria we spoke about earlier, has Next to no suspended solids in it whatsoever because we leverage some pretty nifty filtration technologies on the back end, and it's just very very salty water. But it's perfectly good for fracking with, and it's already got some chlorine residuals, so you can save significant money because you don't have to rechlorinate it before you can frack with it. It's colloquially known as a flock and drop approach, but it is truly the most cost effective way when combined with generating the chemicals needed to do it on site of recycling a barrel of produced water to the point you can use it in a frack.
1: So are most companies doing this?
2: Most companies are doing this or a version of this. Or a uh, version of
1: it. So here's what I'm trying to trying to get to. The the concept that you know fracking is going to make us run out of water in the Permian Basin or wherever it's done, that's just not true, is it?
2: It's not strictly speaking true, but it's a very complex situation. So it's it's an area where the water table, the freshwater table of the Permian is at risk, right? Because it's still the vast majority of frack water is coming from freshwater sources in the Permian Basin. It's being bought from farmers and, and other landowners out there, you know, and it's being used to, for, for frack applications. And it's something in the area of 70% of all frac water is fresh. And that's obviously a large water demand placed on a water-scarce area, and if that trend continues, it will increase the level of water challenge for that community fairly significantly. With that said, though, you do look at the fact that you know companies, I believe it was Pioneer, you know, partnered up with the, the city of Midland on their water plant. You know, so that the oil companies are behaving very responsibly in managing it. And ultimately, there has been a large and consistent trend towards doing more and more produced water recycling. Because ultimately, net, when all is said and done, the Permian Basin is a net producer of water. It's just, unfortunately, that water is, it's cost prohibitive to make that fresh water again, right? But equally, but it, it can but
1: it's not be- cost, it's not cost prohibitive to make it frac water.
2: Exactly. Um, that's, and that's, that's really where the, that's the dub. Like if 100% of the water being used was recycled produced water, you would nary see fresh water being used anywhere. And the water table in Midland would be effectively unaffected by frack activity.
1: So, how far away are we from that? How feasible is that?
2: It really it depends on a, a number of factors. I mean, it's it's a trend that's emerging, and I think probably as we go out, you know, two, three, four years from now, you know, it's particularly with the with the oil pricing and the costing, I think we'll just naturally see a trend towards more and more water being used. And as I said, I would expect two, three years from now, the majority of water being pumped will be some variety of recycled produced. Maybe some fresh for blending and things like that, but that's a manageable amount of water being used, right? You that's, know, it's-
1: <laughs> that's, that's, I, guess, I think the point that I was trying to make. And since we are a, you know, health, safety, and environmental podcast, a lot of times we will focus on one of those issues or sometimes more than one of those issues. A lot of times we'll have a safety tip of the week. Today, this is your environmental tip of the week. There are technologies out there that are going to, lead us toward being able to use more and more produced water and not place such a burden on, on the water tables, especially in places like Permian. And so we're not the big, bad, evil oil companies that a lot of people want to make us out to be.
2: <laughs> I, 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 funny enough, I wrote an article on that, which is, I think it was published in Global Oil and Gas or Border Online or one of the two, But and it was very much featured on the fact that it's it, you can't, the demand for oil, it's not the oil and gas companies that, that are really at the core of much of the issue. Yeah, that's kind of like expecting your, your car park or your parking lot kind of companies to deal with air pollution from cars. You know, it's it's the water treatment and water technology companies making available the correct solutions and working with the oil companies in economic ways that make sense. The, you know, that's our part of the puzzle. And the demand for hydrocarbon certainly isn't going anywhere you know it's essential to the energy economy of the world and the oil companies spend inordinate amounts of money and run massive initiatives to figure out how to do what they do particularly with regards to water cleaner you know and it's a key topic of conversation with anyone you speak to in the shale business is how do we use less water how do we make better use of the produced water that we have and how do we do this thing more economically, more efficiently, but critically more environmentally? And I, I think that's an area that people not from the oil industry tend to miss. You know, when they when they think about it.
1: Well, that's exactly right, and that's we've got to do a better job of you know getting our our message out there in a in a positive way. And so I hope everyone who's tuned into this podcast today. Sees a, a picture of that because I think you've painted a very good picture of it. Again, we'll we'll put your contact information in the show notes. We're gonna wind this thing down. Thank you again, everyone, and please tune in next week for another episode of and Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. IndraSohn Hauser is your reliable U.S. based partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. Discover more about Anderson Hauser at cx.endris.com forward slash hse-podcast and register for our monthly podcast giveaway. Follow us on LinkedIn at Enderson Hauser Group and on Twitter at Endris underscore US. And you don't have to remember all that. You can simply find it in the show notes. Please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends about us. See you next time.
0: Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously, we are in uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later, but for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So we just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again.